This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer. Worldwide, I'm Libby Snymer. Our new ambassador to the United Nations, former Premier Bob Ray, knows he has to convince us the UN is still important, starting with this interview. And summer vacation in the midst of the pandemic. Vivian Vassos has tips on drivable destinations. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A national clinical trial will study how to protect cancer patients against severe COVID-19 by boosting their immune systems. Researchers at the Ottawa Hospital want to explore the potential of IMM-101, a pathogen containing properties that can stimulate the first response of the immune system. The lead author says it could help experts understand why some COVID-19 patients are asymptomatic while others end up in intensive care or die of the virus. Cancer patients are at a much higher risk of severe complications because chemotherapy, cancer surgery, and radiation treatments suppress immunity even further. Prosecutors say a 93-year-old standing trial in Germany for his role in the Holocaust should be given a three-year sentence. Bruno Day is charged with accessory to murder on over 5,200 counts. He was 18 when he served as a guard at a Nazi concentration camp in Stutthof, where more than 60,000 people are thought to have died. It was one of the last Nazi death camps to be liberated. Cybercrime often attacks Zoomers. Now more than half of all Canadians know they've been a victim or target of a cybercrime. The report from the Cybersecure Policy Exchange at Ryerson University found 57% in an online survey had encountered at least one cybercrime. Of the five forms of cybercrime listed in the Polaris survey, the most commonly reported was a virus or ransomware. I'm running. I'm dying. The world's longest surviving conjoined twins died this week at the age of 68 from congestive heart failure. Ronnie and Donnie Gallion of Ohio were born joined at the abdomen in 1951 and earned the title of the world's oldest set of conjoined twins shortly before their 63rd birthday. The brothers appeared in carnivals and circuses to support their family for years. They retired from the entertainment industry in 1991. We'll soon find out what President Donald Trump's niece has to say about him in her tell-all book. It comes out on Tuesday, two weeks early due to high demand. In it, psychologist Mary Trump blames a toxic family for raising her uncle as what she calls a narcissistic damaged man who poses an immediate danger to the public. There are several revelations in Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. She claims the president paid a friend to take his college admission test 
something the White House says is completely false. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. He was Ontario's first NDP premier before switching parties and becoming interim liberal leader. Now Bob Ray becomes Canada's ambassador to the United Nations at a trying time. In the midst of a pandemic, after the loss of our bid for a Security Council seat, and as the UN is increasingly dominated by authoritarian regimes. But he told me the appointment is taking him full circle. I grew up in a, in, a, in, a, in a diplomatic household, if you like. My dad was a career foreign service officer, and he served at the UN in many different capacities, uh, starting with Mr. Pearson in 1952 or three, and then, and then we went off as a family to uh, Geneva, where he was ambassador of the UN in Geneva. That's where the, all the international organizations are, like World Health Organization and the High Commission for Refugees and a number of others. Uh, and then he was ambassador to the UN in New York, and I used to see him there when I was uh, when I was at law school. Somebody wrote me a note today saying, you know, most people start out in their family business and then they move on. He said, you've, <laughs> you've done the opposite. <laughs> you've gone back to your family business. You're taking over the job at a moment when Canada is somewhat diminished. We did lose our bid for that Security Council seat. Yeah, I don't think we're diminished. I mean, I think it's it's never fun to... Uh, you know, enter into a campaign and lose, but I guess I'm uniquely qualified to say <laughs> that that happens. Uh, you know, it, it, you don't always win a campaign. In talking to people in the last few days, since the announcement of my appointment, I've been struck by the amount of goodwill in a number of, of places uh, for Canada, and uh, you know, the amount of good understanding that people have of Canada's Canada's role. There are a number of other countries, I think, that feel that, you know, at a time when there's a lot of you know, authoritarian-oriented countries. There's uh, turmoil in in the UK and uh, in the US. I think people are looking for a steady voice in defense of uh, our our values, but also the defense of the values of, of the UN in terms of its role as a as a place where all countries come together and try and find solutions based on the rule of law and, and based on. Uh, the need for rules, basically. So a lot of people are very disillusioned about the UN. Everything seems to be very politicized. Countries, the big countries, Russia, China, have vetoes. They are authoritarian regimes. Uh, We're in big trouble with China. You have a situation where some of the worst human rights abusers in the world are uh, leading human rights committees at the United Nations. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, all you've said is uh, has an element of truth to it. I mean, it, it, but on the other hand, uh, people have been talking about the uh, the inadequacies of the United Nations uh, just about the day after the charter was uh, was signed in 1945. It, this is not a a new challenge. Actually, it's quite funny because I've been I've been looking at some of my dad's old speeches. He always used to say, "Look, don't blame the UN. You know that that organization. The, the problem is." The world. It's the nature of the world itself that you're looking at. We live in a world where there's a, a lot more countries that are heading away from democracy than, than, than were, let's say, 20, 30 years ago. And these things come and go, and uh, we can't change that. Uh, and we shouldn't expect the UN somehow as a mirror. And we shouldn't expect, you know, the, the picture in the mirror to be totally beautiful uh, and the person standing in front of the mirror to be 
really quite ugly. And right now the world is in a is not a pretty picture. So why would you think the UN would be a pretty picture? I've got to also mention the anti-Semitism at the UN and also a fair amount of corruption. Anti-Semitism not at the UN mm-hmm. as much as it is in the world, Libby. Uh, you know, the organization in itself is not is not something that's facing anti-Semitism. It's it's the the countries in it's, it. It's the continued countries that are members of the UN, and the purpose of the UN is not to exclude people because we don't like them. The purpose of the UN is to be a place where everybody everybody can be, and you know where there are where there is corruption, it must be rooted out. There's so many holes in your question. I wouldn't know where to start. Please, uh, the WHO uh, has responded. We can all criticize whether. Whether it was soon enough or whether it was enough, we can also criticize member governments as to what whether they did on the basis of what they knew uh, and the basis of their their expert advice, whether they all did enough. I think there'll be ample time for a serious review, not only of what the WHO did, but what many, many nation governments did. So I, I, I you know, and when you see all the organizations are politicized, I think it, it's sort of hard to think about how could an association of political countries, countries are by their very nature political, they're political institutions. Um, if you say that, oh my goodness, there's politics at the UN, or my goodness, there's politics at the WHO, yeah, what do you expect? The point is, the, is you've got to be able to deal with it. And the answer to dealing with it is, is not, it's never to leave. The answer is not to leave. The answer is to strengthen the organizations. You don't want because uh, you're not happy with the way something has happened, you you make it better. That's that's the way it should be. So, what are your and Canada's priorities? The reality is, right, we're dealing with an unprecedented global crisis, which is not just the health impacts of the pandemic, which are very very serious around the world. It's the economic uh, aftershock. Do you think Canada's in difficult circumstances because of what's happened? Imagine if you're a country without any resources, without money. Uh, with large populations and with you know deep-seated poverty, they've been very, very badly hit by by what's happened. How do you create uh, an adequate international response to this to this challenge? That seems to me to be the big the big question. What about our situation with China? We face a challenge with China, as does every country. And then there's some basic questions around global security, around the South China Sea, a number of other issues. There, there are. There are big challenges in China. We face a, a very challenging time. But I think there are many, many places, many conflicts going on in the world where uh, discussions uh, can take place in a, in, in a kind of protected environment. I mean, you, you know, you can, you can call, you can talk to diplomats from other countries, you can pass on signals to um, other governments, you can receive signals from other governments about what's going on. And it's all, you know, the UN has always been a major center of of activity already in the last few days, I've been struck by the amount of information, the amount of, of uh, stuff going on, the number of, of issues that are front and center that um, I think a great many Canadians would be very interested to know are being actively discussed because they're of such critical importance to uh, issues of global security. It's great to talk to you, and I really appreciate the many kind things that have been said in the last couple of days. I can't remember when that's happened. (laughs) Well, great to talk to you, too. Thank you very much. Thanks, Libby. Take care. That was Bob Ray, Canada's newly appointed ambassador to the United Nations. 
if COVID-19 hasn't disrupted our lives enough. What to do and where to go for a summer vacation. Zoomer Magazine executive editor Vivian Vasso says we should start in our own backyard with some fresh destinations that are an easy drive. On our website, everythingzoomer.com, it's usually some of the most read articles are the are the road trip articles. People want that sort of quick getaway. They want to be able to jump in the car and go. And we have a, such an amazing backyard, so why not? What are some great places to go? Well, before you go, don't forget that a lot of us have our cars in the driveway that have been sitting there. So I always recommend to someone when they ask me the question, the first place you go is the mechanic to have a double check, get the oil check, make sure the car is running and that there's no problems. Because the last thing you want is that, because that'll really ruin your holiday. After that, it depends on how far you want to drive. Some people are only comfortable in the car for an hour and some people want to go five hours. So there's a little spot right outside of the city, just north of the city in Richmond Hill of all places on the Oak Ridge moraine that is really sweet it's lake wilcox park and it's the lake is gorgeous it's about an, a kilometer and a half of lake if you've got bikes and you've got a bike rack you can take them and bike around the lake and it's just it's a quick hour outside of the city and an hour back so you can really sort of enjoy nature be in nature which we know is good for us and that so that's lake wilcox park so that's only not even an hour outside of the city if you want to go farther of course there's a lot more choice montebello is a gorgeous area in Quebec, halfway between Montreal and Ottawa. And there, it's very famous and historic. A lot of treaties, NATO, all sorts of diplomats from all over the world and heads of state have been hosted in Montebello. Omega Park is great for real Canadian uh, wildlife spotting, moose, bison, bear, even bears. It's, it's scary, but also good. And there's a lot of French-Canadian history as well. And it's on the Ottawa River, so that's familiar, and there's it's good hiking. Would you stay at Montebello? You can stay. The um, the Fairmont Chateau Montebello is there, so it's it's quite historic. It's an old CP hotel from way back in the day, so you get that historical perspective from the from the chateau as well. So it's kind of nice that you can stay in a castle. Let me ask you this: So I'm thinking that sounds like a good idea, and I have to be honest. You know, I'm a little nervous of staying in a hotel. Uh, what should we look out for? The hotels, particularly a hotel like Fairmont, they have a standard practice. They cannot open their hotels unless they're ready. And each one of their hotels across Canada has actually opened at a different time. So they're, some of the hotels are instituting almost Nassau cleanly, cleanliness policy just to a T. And, but what you can expect is, Outdoor dining still available, indoor dining not available. So if you're, if you're a person that likes to have a nightcap at the bar, probably won't be available. But you could probably also have a bottle of wine under the stars on a patio. So physical distancing is, is across the board. We know that. So you can expect that. But you can also expect the weather to be decent. So you're going to want to be outside in any sort of hotel situation in, in in the city or the country, if they have a patio or if they've created or could create an outdoor space, they will. Room service will be available, but you won't be able to really spend a lot of time in the public spaces indoors. If you don't want to drive, but you want to do a city thing, Quebec City or Montreal, I do recommend the train. They're really, really good with the physical distancing. They hand out masks extremely carefully. They make sure that everyone is in the car the, the certain train car based on the destination, based on the stop, so you're not all sort of jammed into one car. And uh, V-Rail's done a, quite a good job of keeping us physically physically distanced, but still safe. What about anything in the other direction? 
Bruce Peninsula. It's it's fantastic. It's north of Toronto. You it's it's the peninsula that sort of splits Lake Huron and Georgian Bay. So it's kind of all about lakes, you know, especially in Ontario. There's so many gorgeous lakes. And the peninsula, one of the things about the peninsula, as you go closer to Lake Huron and to the tip of the peninsula, it becomes rocky and crystal clear and blue, and people will just hang out on the rocks, very similar to a lot of beaches in Europe, where it's not actually a sandy beach. It's just great rock formations, and people just jump into the water and spend time outdoors, and it's warm. It's actually called a grotto, so it feels very sort of European. So that's a nice little little break, very sort of European-like. If you carry on to Tobermory, then you can see the lighthouse, take the ferry, go to Manitoulin, and experience some of our Indigenous culture and history. Because on the island, there are six First Nations bands that live there. And there's craftsmen, there's artisans, there's food, there's all sorts of different music and culture. We just have to be mindful of what's open and be very mindful as we go that we always have our masks, make sure that we go during the hours, make sure we're practicing physical distancing, but try to experience and enjoy and learn a little more about the Indigenous cultures in Ontario. And, you know, if, you, if you're if you interested in, in other kinds of history, Black history, Harriet Tubman, she lived in St. Catharines for 10 years. And that was where the, I have yeah, no idea. Yeah, and she, the Underground Railroad, the last stop was St. Catharines. So she actually set up shop there and and um, lived in St. Catharines for 10 years. So there's quite a bit of, of Black history going on in that part of Ontario, as well as around the Chatham and Kent area, uh, in closer to the Windsor-Detroit border, which is on Lake Erie. So again, you're kind of you know, you could kind of pick a lake and say, okay, I think we're going to stick with Lake Ontario and take a drive along Lake Ontario, do the Loyalist Parkway, or go and, and go to St. Catharines and, and learn about Black history and Harriet Tubman. You could go down to Chatham around Lake Erie. And so it's it's great because we have these bodies of water. And, you know, research tells us that by being around a body of water, living near a body of water is good for us and good for our brains as much as it is to go into the forest. So I say get outside as long as you can. The cities will always be there. We love Montreal. We love Quebec City, but but they'll always be there and, they, and we can go and visit them in the winter because they really do know how to do winter well. <laughs> Vivian Vassos, thank you so much for that. Thank you. And don't forget to check us out at Zoomer Mag Travels on Instagram as well, because we've always got fun stories and, and, and uh, trivia on there for you as well. Okay, so Zoomer Mag Travels and everything Zoomer. Exactly. That was Zoomer Magazine Executive Editor Vivian Vassos. Check out everythingzoomer.com and Zoomer Travel on Instagram. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.